This week, I'm talking to Joshua Ryan Butler. Josh is a Christian, and he's a pastor, and this conversation is a way for me to hear a Christian explain what Christianity is once again, to be able to hear their heart and feeling behind it, and to get a sense, get a taste of why Christianity for them is so important and so vital. I think there's a really important space in these podcasts to hear from both sides and to listen rather than attack or push back against. And this is this is that conversation. This this is a conversation which is very much me asking questions, me trying to prompt and probe to listen to the viewpoints and opinions that Joshua has because these things help us to reflect on why we either do or do not believe in certain propositions. These conversations help us to work things through in our own life. And for me, I found this conversation to be very powerful because the way that Joshua talks about Christianity is the sort of Christianity that I used to believe in. So I've managed to go away now for a couple of days and reflect upon the things Joshua has been saying and thinking about. And yeah, that's been really, really helpful for me. And it's brought closure actually in quite a lot of different areas. So anyway, I hope you can see in this conversation that today is about listening to why somebody believes in the faith. Enjoy. Welcome to When Belief Dies a podcast honestly reflecting on faith, religion, and life. This podcast is all about listening. We want people to share their reasons for faith or their reasons for non-belief so that we can better understand what has or has not convinced somebody of the claims that different religions profess. This is a journey, it's not a destination. And I'm really excited to have you listening with us each week as we delve into different viewpoints from different parts of the world to try and uncover the truth. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of When Belief Dies. Uh, My name's Sam and today I'm delighted to introduce Joshua Ryan Butler. Josh, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much, Sam. I'm really delighted to be here. So, Josh, I've um, I've been um, honestly following you for a couple of years now. I read your book, The Skeletons in God's Closet, um, in 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 an, in an apologetics book club uh, quite a few years ago. Um, someone in, someone kind of said this is a really good book. It's looking at some of those more tricky subjects uh, that people sometimes overlook, such as like holy war, uh, kind of hell, and and those sorts of harder, almost like you know, judgment. Those sorts of harder subjects people often shy away from. And um, I found it really compelling. I found it really interesting. And um, since then, I found that I've kind of stepped away from faith for other reasons which we can probably go into but I just thought it'd be really good to get you on to kind of talk through um some of these things because I think quite often people kind of just say you know I can't believe in God because this happened to the Canaanites or I can't believe in God for the, for, for this sort of character that God's kind of portrayed to be um, but I think you especially in your other book um kind of talking about a a, a pursuing God um have expressed an, an idea of God which I think is quite um helpful to help others to understand how a Christian would perceive a God in in those sort of situations. So, I mean, before I kind of make you kind of talk about that sort of stuff, it'd be really cool to kind of like hear about you, Josh, hear about your kind of ministry, who you are, um, and your beliefs, if that's okay. Great. That's excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. I um, So, I, I'm, right now, currently, I'm a pastor here in Tempe, Arizona. So, we're kind of uh, near a- ASU, Arizona State University. It's kind of essentially the largest college uh, campus in, in America as far as student population and all. 
Um, so it's kind of a college town and I love kind of wrestling with some of the tough topics of the faith and uh, yeah, with, with folks, it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm married, my wife, we're uh, 13 years married, three young kids, kind of 11, seven and six. And I'm originally from Portland. We moved out here, uh, Portland, Oregon in the Northwest. We moved out here a couple of years ago and uh, grew up in the Northwest, just kind of very different cultural environment. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, uh, uh, Portland would be way more, um, let's say hostile, maybe to Christianity. So I kind of grew up in an environment where uh, Christianity was definitely not sort of a cultural norm. You know, it, it was, it was uh, more Christians were oddballs and crazy and weird and on the outside, uh, but was a pastor there for about 15 years. And maybe a little more, my own, my own story, man, there's, there's so many areas I could go, but um, one that stands out, even kind of early childhood. So I, I did not grow up in the church per se. Like it was not, uh, my family didn't go to church. We weren't Christian in that sense, but I did have this experience that was pretty formative. It was a, a friend of my mom's when I was about five years old, uh, gave her this children's Bible and she gave it to me and was kind of like, Hey, Josh, you might, you know, might be interested in this, you know? And I was just learning how to read and I fell in love with it. Like it was this weird thing, but I started reading it every day and not in like this legalistic, oh, I got to read it or God's going to be mad or whatever, you know, but more just like, like finding life there. Um, and what struck me, I was kind of a reject, sort of a oddball kid, kind of the typical last kid picked, you know, I had the crazy hair and the glasses and now that might be kind of hip or whatever. But when I was a kid, it was like, dude, no one wanted to be near you, you know? So, <laughs> so I kind of grew up feeling like, a bit like an outsider uh, at school. And then there were some issues at home that, that were uncomfortable. And so um, I had all that just going, man, I don't feel like I fit anywhere kind of, and a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity, a lot of rejection. And I would pick up and read and this children's Bible. And what struck me was, I don't think I maybe had the words for it back then, but this sense of like a God of the outcast, like a God of the outsider where Israel, like God picking, you know, a nation of slaves, kind of the runts or the last, the last kid picked that in the ancient world out of all the mighty empires and powerhouses and whatever else God goes for uh, these folks on the outskirts. Um, and then throughout the book, like Abraham, Moses, David, um, often their stories were marked by a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty, a lot of, um, you know, Abraham, be the father of a great nation and you, you go next few decades with no kids, you know, or David, like, you know, you're going to, be king. And he, I remember these pictures where he's like on the run for his life, you know, getting hunted down for a decade and God, where the heck are you? Like, what, what's going on, Moses, you're going to liberate the people. And then 40 years out herding sheep in the wilderness. Um, so, and, but the sense I picked up, I remember at a young age was like, oh man, God's big enough to take the difficult questions. And then, and this speaks to the hard realities of our world in a way that um, is meaningful and I kind of fell in love with Lord of the Rings for the same reason, you know, it's kind of like the hobbits were like the hobbits were like the rejects of middle earth, you know, but they get kind of drawn into this grand epic drama. This grand narrative, you know, where, where uh, they get to play a part in this beautiful redemptive story of navigating evil and suffering and, and, and darkness and all, but in a way that uh, is about like a coming, like a restoration of the world. So uh, that may have been more than you were asking, but that's kind of early formative memory where when I did eventually come to faith later uh, in in college, um, there were some building blocks kind of from back earlier in my story that I found really significant. That's amazing. And and what, and what was it then that kind of um, 
I guess, brought you into the realization that kind of God is real and that you wanted to have a relationship with him. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm currently um, re-looking at the case for the resurrection. So reading quite a lot of books around the resurrection, both for and against and kind of trying to weigh up the evidence. And um, I'm talking to a few people as I'm doing it. And as I'm doing it, I'm kind of coming to this realization that, you know, can, can somebody think that the case of resurrection is true, but also then kind of not actually like have a relationship with God because um, I think there's I think there, there could almost be two different things I'm not saying I've kind of have a, a belief in the resurrection yet I'm still working that all through but um, how 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 and why did you begin to kind of grasp and get to know this God like how did that how did that kind of work out that's a great question and I uh, so I part of the story was is my first year in college and you know kind of when, when people go away to university or whatever there's a sense of like i can sort of remake myself or reinvent myself you know and so i remember i get there my freshman year and i'm like all right god i'm going to do this I, I i had been starting to attend a church in end of high school with a friend and um and learning more about christianity and all um but now i was kind of like god i'm going to do this i i want to i want to follow you and so i found this group on campus and it's like, hey, how do I follow Jesus, you know? And they're like, oh, well, you play music. Uh, why don't you come lead worship at our weekly gathering? And I was like, all right, I don't know that I'm a Christian yet, but I'll go kind of lead worship, you know? And uh, and then I'm like, okay, well, what's next? And like, oh, well, we've got this Bible study once a week on Thursday nights. And so I'm like, okay, so I, I struck into that. And it was good, but I found myself actually feeling almost like more empty, you know? And so I'm like, I must be missing something. So now what's next? I'm like, oh, well, we've got this Wednesday morning, 6 a.m. prayer gathering. And I remember thinking like, all right, that sounds like Navy SEALs, like gung-ho for Jesus. Like my sense was like, God's just waiting to make sure I'm all in my commitment, you know? And so I, got, I, so I do that, but I still feel more empty. So I'm like, well, what's next? And they're like, oh, well, uh, are you sharing your faith? And they kind of gave me some tracks and talk about how, you know, talk, talk about God for people. And, and I had some good conversations, but I found myself in this catch-22 where it was like, the more stuff I was doing for God, the more distant and far away God seemed, you know? Um, but the challenge was I now had all these folks in this Christian community I was a part of that were like clapping, you know, kind of like, like, look at Josh, he's on fire for Jesus. And, and so I didn't want to let them down. And I, and so anyways, I, I basically spent a lot of that year kind of doing a lot of the performance, the activities, the stuff on the outside, but internally really questioning going, man, I don't know that I buy it. God, I don't know that this works. I don't know that I, I really believe it. And so that tension built over the course of that year. And it kind of climaxed that summer where I was like, okay, I know what'll fix it. I'll go on a mission trip. That's, that's the, that's the big one. That's the thing God's waiting for, you know? So I got on this mission trip and it was in Japan and it's a really beautiful experience. The, the Japanese church there. One of the things that struck me was like, they just seemed to rest in the love of God for them. You know, like, like it wasn't like they weren't doing stuff. They, they had stuff going on, but they also, it wasn't marked by the same kind of striving that I had in my own life. And so I was like, yeah, that's beautiful, but I don't, it doesn't make sense, you know? So end of the stories, I come home that summer and I'm just kind of like, the tension has been building all year and it finally comes to a head uh, in this backyard where I'm landscaping. I had a three-day job landscaping, digging up all these roots and shrubs and flowers and whatever. And in retrospect, it felt kind of symbolic too for internally, like, you know, I'm digging up all these deep roots in my soul and God, I don't know if I buy it, if this thing even works, you know? And I get to the end of those three days and I remember screaming, like just kind of shouting out loud in that backyard, like F it, you know, like God, if this is who you are, I want nothing to do with you. Just kind of gave God the finger, like I'm done. And 
not in a way like I was going to change my mind tomorrow. It was like the climax of this whole year. I just, I tried it. It didn't work. This is bogus and, and just kind of got them done with it. And I don't remember if it was like a minute later or an hour later, but I just remember being in that backyard and finding myself surrounded by the presence of Jesus, you know, and it was like being in the room with the King, you know, like uh, when they talk about being in the spirit, you know, like more tangible than actually being physically with someone right there. So it just felt like this, the presence of Jesus. And what I heard him say was, uh, Josh, you've had this whole thing backwards. Like you thought this was about you coming out to find me. And the whole time I've been the one coming out to find you. And honestly, like that, that was the thing like that just kind of flipped my whole perception of God, of Christianity, of religion, of, you know, like that. Um, I think you mentioned the, the book, the pursuing God, a lot of it, you know, that came out of just going like, Oh man, the deepest heart of the gospel to me is like that sense that at its core, it's, it's not so much about us going out to find God. It's God coming out to find us. you got God pursuing God diving into the muck and the mess of our world, the muck and the mess of our stories of actually encountering us in um, the horror of the crucifixion, meaning like God actually entering into the deepest kind of darkest places of our world in order to find us there and, and, and raise us up with him. And so honestly, like the more of the questions about the faith came later, you know, like for me earlier on, it was, it was really um, what really kind of sucked me in so to speak was, was grace, like this encounter with Jesus, kind of the God who'd come for my salvation. And I remember at the time, like, yeah, like it's a, one of the verses in that backyard that really stood out was Ephesians, um, where Paul says it's, it's by grace through faith you've been saved. And, and what struck me was I'd had it backwards. I realized I thought it was by faith through grace. Like, like, God, I bring you my faith. I show you how serious I am, how many, all these things I'm willing to do. And that creates this channel where you're then like, okay, I'll give you some grace now, you know? I realized that no, that's backwards. Like God is gracious goodness and faith is simply getting my eyes off myself to look to the God who's come for us in Christ. Uh, so in short, that was like kind of my, my experience sort of this in encounter and then just the grace of Jesus being kind of at the, the foundation for everything since then. Um, but then, you know, kind of going back, uh, school the next year and began having a lot of friends with questions like how can you believe in a god who da, da, da. and then myself going i don't know what do i think about those things and began pressing into the bible pressing into church tradition theology history like trying to make sense and grapple with some of the tough questions of the faith um that that sort of came on the heels of that uh, but the foundation was really the sense of god's pursuit of us in christ and yeah that, that kind of taking hold yeah no that's really that's really helpful and really interesting i think it's um it's a beautiful way of looking at it and um yeah i think it's really good that that, that happened i kind of um it almost makes me sad because i kind of wanted that in my own life i kind of wanted to experience and have that sort of backyard moment where i'm dealing with all these things and kind of god comes through and i kind of feel like i've gone um i seem to have done that sort of f you god bit that, that you mentioned and then 
and then nothing really happened. It just kind of carried on. And I'm like, okay, I need to try and ask some more questions, I guess, and try and work out kind of why do people believe this stuff? Um, So I guess kind of, I don't don't want to become just one of the people at at your high school who kind of said, okay, it's great you believe that, but what about this? Um, But I think it's, it's helpful for the... The, the people listening to this who have once had a relationship with God and or thought they did and then kind of realized that they don't believe in God anymore and therefore they don't think God's real maybe um to, to kind of ask ask the question like how do you how do you help somebody like me so um you know to to kind of say well um and, you know, I, I would say to you it's it's great that, that you've had that but I've looked for that and wanted that and, and not experienced it so how do you um how do you justify it and I always I mean this is, this is probably going to be you know an, another interesting tangent but I, I always extrapolate it as well into kind of the eternal because I feel like a lot of um the biblical narrative and and the way that Christianity is expressed more often than not is looking at sort of um that final kind of picture when every tear is wiped away and kind of there is that redemption when when Jesus finally returns um and there's this idea that kind of um if you are not in a relationship with God, you are destined for kind of being outside of um, God's presence, whatever that looks like, hell or whatever language we kind of want to use. But um, I know I know so many people, and this is, this is kind of, this is quite shocking to me, but I know so many people who wanted to know God and who searched for him and, and, and sought, uh, sought him and didn't find that. And and their, their entire lives could just be this search where they kind of come to the end of their days and they, they don't believe and they've tried to, but they don't. So how do you kind of... Um, yeah, how, how do you wrestle with that and, and, and then talk to people? Yes, man, that is a great, that's a really, really good question. And I don't know that I've got the perfect answer, but, you know, but a few thoughts that come to mind is, you know, one is I do believe that there is a whole diversity of ways that people end up encountering Jesus. And in my story, it was kind of like, you know, this performance stuff and then realizing like, oh, that's backwards. It's actually got to come to me. But I've got loads of friends who, you know, have, uh, perhaps it's been like wrestling with some of the tough topics of the faith. Um, I also say, I kind of get into this in the second section of the Skelton's book, but one of the challenges that I see a lot of folks have too is um, misconceptions or poor conceptions of the Christian faith that we as Christians, that the church has generated itself, you know, like whether um, uh, doctrinal or ethical, you know, things that we've maybe misconceptions represented God and how we've taught at times in ways that I think are not accurate. And that can really leave some obstacles to be overcome with kind of clearing up the the picture, so to speak, or also with ethics. I I kind of share the story of a friend of mine um, growing up who, well, a a friend of mine who, when he was growing up, uh, it's a long story, I don't get all the details, but had been, you know, repeatedly molested by a priest and had, uh, he he was uh, Native American. There had been some uh, intense racial injustice in his community that had been perpetuated by Christians, his fiance, high school sweetheart being murdered uh, by four boys from the local Catholic high school, you know, and just going like his experiences with Christians were just horrific. And I think the image of God that I've entailed, like I, I loved our friendship and, and, and us really didn't know each other. But I would say at times there has been, whether from doctrine, kind of things that churches maybe have mistaught about who God is or uh, practice kind of ethics ways that the church has lived as witnessed poorly, like has, has been a real thing. And one of the things that I find striking about God's judgment in scripture is I've come to the conclusion that it's partly designed to deal with that reality. <laughs> like partly designed to re- and what I mean by that is I kind of emphasize in the book, what I call the, the surprise of judgment, that one of Jesus's chief teachings you know one of the chief characteristics of judgment the way jesus talks about it is that its outcome is a surprise um that 
I think we have a caricature often that it's like, dude, God's judgment means that everybody who goes to church is in and everyone else who didn't get their crap together is out, you know, kind of thing. And going like, dude, I think that's not the picture at all that we get in, 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 the, in the biblical story. What we see with Jesus is God's judgment involves uh, both a weeding out and a gathering in of kind of weeding out and dealing with the hypocrisy, the, the wolves among the sheep, the wheat among the tares, like those who are amongst his people, um, but are not actually his, you know? And so I think of like, um, I mean, dude, I don't want to lay claim to knowing individual destiny, whatever, you know, for, for specific people, but I didn't think of stuff like the Robbie Zacharias situation right now that if listeners aren't familiar, but uh, a respected international Christian apologist, um, uh, died a few years back, um, but now posthumously after his death, like all of these uh, uh, convincing, credible allegations of, of abuse and other things that that he uh, had done, had committed kind of behind the scenes and going, man, I think partly what God's judgment is designed to deal with is within the church, within the people of God, um, the unrepentant kind of corruption and injustice and idolatry and things that... Um, arise from kind of like people who bear the name of God kind of publicly in the world, but actually are not with him when it comes to align with who Jesus is and the nature of his ways and all that. Um, so there's that weeding out aspect of God's But on the other hand, there's also this gathering in dynamic and um, that it's, it's uh, constantly depicted as man, the shock and surprise of, um, the prodigals and the prostitutes and the last expected, least likely, the rag ragamuffins kind of like come running into the kingdom. Like Jesus has almost this magnetic draw that boom. And, and I believe part of that is rooted in um, that I believe like ultimately those who truly want Jesus, when they see him as he truly is for who he really is, uh, get him in the end, you know, like that, that it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, I don't know, maybe one way of, but it's there, there is a certain sense at least in which at the end of the day, we all kind of get what we want, you know, like, like those who want life with God as God truly is, you know, uh, that's, that's like, I kind of put it in the book, you know, Jesus questioned us is not so much, are you good enough to get into my kingdom as it is rather, will you let me heal you? Like, like his posture towards us in the cross and his death and resurrection in his life, who he is, is he's out to heal and restore all who would receive him. Um, and so when it comes to, you know, you kind of mentioned the it, eternal questions, things of that nature. Um, I just kind of go, man, I, it, it's above my pay grade at one level, but I trust God. Like I think the picture is that God is a good judge and looking at why he, I think he judges the world in order to restore it, to heal and reconcile creation from the destructive power of sin, to reconcile heaven and earth, kind of God's realm and our realm from uh, the ways that our rebellion has sort of torn those apart, that he's out to heal and reconcile and restore. Uh, but in order to do that, he's got to deal with the very um, things, you know, Christian we call sin is kind of the root, but it has all these different manifestations, all these different aspects to it. Um, but maybe in this season, uh, the image of a virus kind of, you know, something that's like infecting and invading and, and, and leads to, to death in God's good world. He's got to kind of deal with uh, the viral nature of sin in order to heal and restore 
the human social body of humanity and the good home of his creation. That was a rabbit trail kind of winding around, but yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was really helpful. And I think just kind of, just reflecting on kind of my own story and, and where I've been with this, I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of the issues I have with Christianity is rooted in the two, two things. One is kind of Christians and the sort of kind of a way that Christianity has been presented. It's this sort of in, in or out situation or um, this person isn't saved, therefore kind of not, don't talk to them, but kind of just be aware that, that they're not saved, um, which is a bit awkward. Um, but there's also the kind of element which is... Um, I, I I can't help but think the sort of uh, life that Christ calls somebody to is almost impossible to live. Um, it's just it's so kind of um, not not over maybe it is over the top. It's so um, you know kind of mm-hmm. um, you know give 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 your cloak and your stick like walk the extra mile. Um, all, all this sort of extra sort of um, stuff that we don't see and I kind of often say kind of like you know um, your bank balance says more about your heart than your mouth ever can. Like how you actually how you actually live your life, the things you're actually doing and kind of giving to and, 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 and engage with speak so much more than the kind of words we say. And I think um, that does actually talk about your heart. And I think when you say things like um, those that actually want God to be real, I think it really does come down to the sort of difference between the sort of outward appearance and the heart's appearance and kind of what's your heart actually trying to do in the situation. Okay, you might not understand, you might not get it, you might not see it, but are you searching? Are you looking? Are you, are you, are you trying to find uh, find the, the, the truth if it is, if it is possible to be found um so i find that really interesting i think my kind of question then would kind of turn to um how do we how do we know that we are engaging with God? So I can I can go away and read the Bible and I can get like a warm, fuzzy feeling and I can, you know, read some great apologetics or even one of your books. I think that they're very moving and powerful. Um, but then, you know, the next morning comes and it's cold outside. I'm going for a walk and I, I don't feel it anymore. Um, and I'm kind of aware that Christianity isn't just a feeling, but how do you, how does one actually live out a Christian life? I kind of mentioned it seems like the sort of calling Christ gives us to, like if you look at Acts and the sort of way they were living, it's very uh, sacrificial and very, very moving. And um, it's very attractive, but I, I almost kind of feel like highly impractical and almost impossible, potentially it is impossible to actually live out. So kind of, um, Joshua, what, what are your thoughts be on? How does one actually kind of engage with and know that they are engaging with God and living out that sort of life? Man, that's, that's good. That's a good question. Uh, man, I, well, I feel that this is, I'm, I'm probably going to sound kind of like an old stodgy dinosaur on this one, you know, <laughs> but I've come to this place where maybe to start, you know, I remember years ago when I first kind of got into, uh, ministry in terms of uh, being a pastor and helping lead a, a church and all. And I had like these really grandiose visions of like, what, and I still have very high ideals, you know, for who we as a church are called to be. Um, but, uh, I remember at the time it was, you know, um, mission, we're going to be out there just giving it all our community and community. We're going to be like in life, like thick as thieves together. And, and, uh, one of the things that over the years since then, I would say like where I, I've kind of come to you is, um, not, not the totality, but the centrality of word and sacrament. And what I mean by that is, um, if I go back to 
my story where I share and like where Christianity it first became about how leading worship and going to this Bible study and doing the 6am prayer and, you know, sharing your faith and you could add other, you know, like, like giving all my money away. And, you know, like, like there could be all the, the kind of ethical bars become the, the primary thing. And I, I find, I think people can get burnt out and God can still seem as distant as ever. And what I didn't share was after that experience, when I kind of had that encounter in the backyard, I felt like God saying, Hey, Put, step back for a season from all the Christian quote-unquote activity and it really became just about the simplicity of uh, like I'm just gonna go to church on Sunday right and, and uh, which can sound like kind of ritualistic and routine and basic but what I found was the what was happening was um, implicitly it placing me in a posture or a place of receiving from God before doing for God if that makes sense because you know about the word like the, the people got gathering together to hear from, we you know, believe as Christians that God's revealed himself through his word, through scripture, ultimately through Christ, but also through the word of God, the scriptures. And so gathering around going, God, we want to receive from your voice, your words to us as your people, almost like in the family living room, receiving from his words. And then the meal, you know, like the, the Eucharist or as well as Baptist, like the sacraments going like God, believing that God's identified himself with these things as a means of grace that Jesus gives himself to us as his people, feeds us as his people through um, these means. And in a posture of worship and in the life of the spirit, like the presence of God. And that became really formational and foundational, even just those, those rhythms of going, okay, weekly, I'm going to gather with the people of God to try and receive from his word, receive the sacraments um, in a a posture of of worship. And then I'm going to go back and then I'm going to engage in my vocation, my calling, my work, my family, all the different stuff that's going on during the week. Um, but those rhythms, uh, we call liturgy, kind of liturgical rhythms and all, actually shape and have a formative effect on us, I think, even more than, so even if it's like, dude, I don't remember what was preached on six weeks ago, whatever, you know, uh, but nonetheless, that that liturgical rhythm has a formational impact on uh, how we're being shaped and formed as people over time. And so I kind of want to go back to the, the center and go, dude, I think at the center of it, there is this... Um, community on mission who gathers in worship to receive from from jesus you know um but then out of that there's these things that flow out of that and so one big one for me would be mission that i think when we receive the life of god it actually shapes us to want to lay down our lives for our neighbors and and the world um so i uh Back in years ago, you know, for about 15 years in Portland, when I was doing ministry there, I oversaw our local ministries in areas like working with uh, refugees and with the homeless and with foster care and with anti-trafficking and all these different areas and seeing the body of Christ, like, lay down their lives to sacrificially serve and love our neighbors and to be, you know, a redemptive presence in our city. And it was just so powerful, the amazing stuff that came out of that. Um, I'd say not only mission, another big one would be, I believe community should flow out of receiving the life of God. Like Jesus is not just plucking individuals out for one-on-one relationships. He's actually forming a family, you know? And so we should believe the grace of God. Yeah. Jesus unites us not only to himself, but to the body of Christ, the people of God, like together with one another. And so we should be able to walk with one another in vulnerable relationships, pressing each other kind of deeper into life with Jesus, finding friendship out of loneliness and isolation and all. Um, And then finally, I think, you know, there's also personally, there's like a spiritual formation with themes like prayer and um, 
yeah, and some of the historic practices of the church in just, you know, fasting and prayer. And, and uh, my wife and I do a lot of like listening prayer, prophetic prayer. We're, we're kind of charismatic uh, wackos, I'd <laughs> say, so, you know, in those areas. Uh, but yeah, personal kind of spiritual formation. And, but to go back to earlier, one of the dangers I've seen is at times I've seen some movements that I've been a part of, especially 15 or so years ago, uh, the emphasis could become so much on mission. And there was almost like a disparaging of um, Sunday or the church or the gathering. You know, it's like, dude, we're about the real thing. We're about being on mission and loving our neighbors and kind of disparage the the gathering around word and sacrament. And virtually every movement I know like that went south over the long haul. You know, like I kind of went some really unhealthy directions. Then there was another wave, I'd say about five, 10 years ago that felt it was more like, no, it's about community. We all need to like... Um, you know, move our 10 families into one house together and do every single thing, like, like this really high vision for like what it was going to be like life on life. Um, but most of those I found became very dysfunctional and, and unhealthy in their own ways, you know, um, when it became like, this is the thing, not that. And I've seen some today, I think, where uh, I know a lot of folks in kind of the spiritual formation realm where it's like, that's become the new, let's make it about that. You know, it's this, not Sunday, not the gathering. And, um, and I found myself reflecting over the years, kind of going, why is it that when those things get disconnected, they seem to ultimately kind of tank over the long haul. And I think there's something at the heart of it of a, I think going back to just the gospel starts with receiving, you know, it starts with receiving from God, our need to receive before it gets to like what we do or our life that flows out of that. And B, I, I just think even if it doesn't fully make sense to me, I, I believe that Jesus has identified himself, you know, God's identified himself with his word, with the sacraments, with the gathering of the people of God together in a way that um, it gets messy and definitely can go bad directions too. But uh, for me, that's been just kind of foundational. Again, that liturgical rhythm has had a formational effect in shaping and forming my own life. Yeah, super helpful. And you, you mentioned just then as well that it doesn't always... I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but you kind of seem to at least suggest that um, it doesn't always make sense kind of trying to understand how Jesus is linked to these things, but there seems to be that sort of connection that's there. And I guess my question to you would be, um, so I'm I'm very um, methodical and uh, I like to think that I'm logical, although my wife would say that I'm definitely not. Um, anyway, um, basically, um, I, I, I like to think that I kind of work things through in a very kind of like rhythmic uh, uh, yeah a very rhythmic or kind of processed orientated way um, and would you say that, that sometimes people get caught up in trying to understand how everything links together before they can make a commitment rather than being able to start a journey and seeing where it goes like is, is there is there a difference between this because I, I i feel like i i need to have all the dominoes in a, in, a, in a row and hit them and watch them go and go right that makes sense that now works i can begin this sort of like almost like engineering precision rather than almost going for like a i don't know like a car journey somewhere nice and kind of like in, enjoying that experience of being out in the open with the roof down like experiencing the world like how how do you kind of how do you view jesus and 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 living that life out then mm, no that's 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 a really important question because yeah you know maybe one 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 angle of thought on it is um you, you mentioned reading the book skeletons of god's closet and where i was processing through uh really i was trying to go hey here's some of the paradigm shifts that have been helpful for me over the years on some of these topics but the the thought that comes to mind is how um most of those paradigm shifts for me 
none of them were like overnight, right? Like they were all kind of in a process over about 15 years, you know? Um, yeah, there's about a 15, probably about a 15 year window from when I, I first, that backyard moment to like, you know, writing that book. And it wasn't like, I asked the question, you know, asked one question immediately. It was like this, a lot of it was kind of the, the hard fought wrestling, you know, like wrestling with God, wrestling with Christianity, wrestling with what, is, what does this all mean? Um, but I think to, to your point, you said earlier, like wrestling from a place to going, God, I want to know you and this doesn't make sense. And uh, I want to dig deeper. And, um, and over time, one thing I found was, you know, you get, you get a few little wins and it starts to kind of build trust and then you get some bigger wins and it builds more trust. And so a lot of my life with God has not been like, Oh, like, like I started and it was just, everything makes sense. And it's all perfectly fits together. And the dominoes all kind of line up, you know, it was more like, God, I've got, I've encountered enough of you to go. I trust you and I want to step in. And yet um, I still have, yeah, these questions or these, you know, these things that, that don't quite make sense. And one of the things that has really struck me though, as I look back over my life thus far is that some of the deepest intimacy with Christ has come through the wrestling, you know, like some of the deepest, not only the, um, I mean, you probably picked up, I, I, I could be a bit of a, a, a brainiac. Like I've got my, my, my intellectual questions and things I want to figure out, you know? Um, and I think that's all really good, but some of the deepest uh, kind of heart mode or just trust and connection to God have come um, not in spite of the wrestling, but kind of through the process of it. And um, yeah. And so I don't know, I guess just the encouragement that uh, it's, it's okay to, to, to trust (laughs) even when the pieces all don't kind of fully make sense and yet to press in rather than kind of back away, you know, like to press in and, um, yeah, that's really important for me. And I do think, though, there is historically like what some have called um, like faith seeking understanding, you know, kind of like uh, the, there is this kind of a, a posture, a posture that I want to try and cultivate in my own life, which is um, I want to start with trust and then try and like trust or faith believe, uh, and then try and work out you know, kind of do the hard wrestling with like, okay, how, but how does this fit? You know? And, um, and it's kind of like, I, I feel like like if one of my kids was like, dad, I, you know, I trust you, but man, this is not making sense. Can you help walk me through, you know, and, and getting to go through that process with them becomes a relational process, you know? Um, and that, that to me is a different kind of starting point than um, if it's, I, I wouldn't want to cultivate kind of like uh God, if you can convince me, then I'll believe because we've been going through the gospel of John right now. And one of the things that kind of strikes me is how frequently Jesus will kind of go, um, like there'll be the, the demand for more signs or works and he'll kind of be like, that won't do the trick. Like it's not for a lack of demonstrations of power or miracle or sign or anything that, you know, like that I think one of the ways of putting skeletons, I think at the end of the day, uh, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, you know? which is not, not to make accusations. I don't know where, where folks are at themselves, but um, my own life kind of going like, um, yeah, God, I, I trust you. And I've just found Jesus, the most compelling, beautiful, meaningful story in the world. And I don't have it all figured out, but I have had big questions and I kind of wrestled through and come out the other side and going, Oh, actually this does 
the answer actually makes more sense to me than than the absence of it, you know, um, and yeah, so that may have been a rabbit trail, but at the end of the day, I think, yeah, the, the freedom to press in even when things don't fully make sense or fit together, and yet the encouragement to kind of press in from a posture of trust, just going, all right, yeah, God, I want to know you. Can you help me kind of grapple with how, how this, this works? Hey, I want to take a minute of your time to talk about supporting when belief dies. This will always be an advertisement-free podcast. And for that reason, I hope you will be willing to share this episode with your friends and family. Subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app and check us out over on YouTube. Finally, I want to ask you to consider supporting the show financially. You can support the show on Patreon with a monthly gift or a one-off donation via PayPal. Everything that you give goes directly towards running and improving the blog and podcast. Take a look in the description for all the links and thank you for supporting the show. Right, let's get back to this week's episode. I mean, that's so powerful. And I think it's, it's true even within, this is going to sound weird, but like, just, just, just bear with me for like one minute. So it's, it's true even within a atheistic outlook on life. It's this idea that, um, we, we are kind of like certainty seeking creatures. Like we just desire to know how everything works and understand. Like, so we use science and science is this great tool that helps us get to this place. And uh, sure, like science is really useful, but actually um, science only gets us so far. And then there is so much more that we need to kind of go into and, and, and understand. And actually, if you look at anything within science, there, you always come back to a, we, we are making assumptions um, based on the best evidence that we have essentially. And we're kind of testing that. And sure, some things look fairly positive, but we don't know for sure about anything um and it's 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 this idea that um we need to be able to be okay with uncertainty and not having the answers and i think this is this is the thing when you see kind of like parents who have lost children or you see uh, somebody finding out they've got some sort of bad kind of news with some sort of like illness that's going to see the see them to the end of their days or whatever um and, and you see these people going through this and actually um there seems to be the ability for people to have a trust in a god even or in spite of not having the answers that's going to see them past when their time ends and i find that very powerful and i know a lot of kind of atheists are going to listen to this kind of pushing back on me which is absolutely fine but um me personally this, this podcast that being rude is, is is this is this journey so let's let's go with it but i find this really powerful because um we see individuals who might have lost children or be going through like i mean i can't imagine anything worse right i would rather die than, than, than my children yeah. die it's just yeah. it seems Agreed. horrific um and we see people being able to trust god even though they don't have any answers or any whys given to them they just have the grief in the morning but they're able to process that with this 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 being that they believe they're interacting with like they're not pretending like they they literally believe that's happening and i find that really powerful i wonder can you can you kind of speak to that like how to yeah how do how do you even begin to kind of explain that to somebody who is so set in having those dominoes lined up like having that certainty it just doesn't it, they just don't seem to correlate right they don't seem to come together yeah no doubt, man. Well, you know, I, one of the hardest you mentioned with, with kids and one of the hardest seasons I ever went through, there's been a few, but one of them was where we, we almost lost our daughter. And so we were in the hospital. She was five years old at the time. Um, she had a, 
it's a long story, basically a psychotic break. We weren't sure what was happening. It seemed like her personality was gone and there was, uh, they, they thought it was permanent and um, potentially even threatening, you know, like we, so we spent about 10 days in the emergency room and then six months with specialists and, uh, and dude, she's just like, it's my first, firstborn child, like dude, the love of my life, you know, he was my first man, it's my daughter, my girl. And I remember just for months going through just the most agonizing um, and wrestling out with God and going on these long walks every night at the hospital after she'd fallen asleep. And, um, and it was just so brutal. And, and it, it's, it's weird to say, because like I said, I can't, I can't give a analytical you know, explanation for it, but I encountered the presence of God there deeply you know like in those in that in those walks some of the deepest intimacy with 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 christ and and thankfully i mean our, our daughter's okay and 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 it's great but i know sometimes it doesn't go that route for people you know and it's not and um and yet even when it was the unknown i would say man i i i i encountered god in some of the deepest ways in in those places and and i think I think part of it to my mind, my experience has often been that um, we often, I, I will often find myself in this spot. Some of the tension I'll feel is like, it's, it's either this or it's this, you know, it's either a or it's B, you know, or it's, it's right or it's left or something. It's gotta be one of these two. And the willingness to sit in the tension and go, God, I trust you. And what I often find have found over the years is that it's actually neither of the two. It's like this third thing, you know, like, like it's something different. Uh, and the third thing is, is hard to see from where we're positioned, you know, kind of our perspective or, or line of sight that we're looking at. But then when you see it from that other angle, it kind of pops and makes sense. And it's like, oh, that's, that, that's beautiful. Um, not evil or whatever, you know, in itself, but, um, maybe, I mean, just to give some examples, but like, I think, uh, like skeletons, one of the, the first chapters, but it's kind of going, Dude, for me personally, I, I didn't go into the other side of this here, but that it was like, it's either this heaven hell story, you know, or it's nihilism. Like it's nothing. It's all just dark in the end, you know? And, and then wrestling through the book strong going, Oh, actually, no, it's a third thing. It's a heaven and earth story of God reconciling heaven and earth from the destructive power of hell. And that actually changes the game and what's going on actually in a way that's beautiful and makes sense of uh, the gnarliness that we see in the world today or historic, you know, like, it's either uh, um, polytheism or just kind of this monadic God is one, like in a monadic sense or polytheism is actually, no, God is Trinity. You know, like, like there's actually a beautiful, which I would say means God is an eternal communion of love. Like God has unity and difference in his life from eternity as God. There's, uh, it's the foundation for the beauty of the sign that God is love and creates us in love for himself, you know, like, um, and I, I could go on and on, but just time and time again, it seemed like, uh, yeah, uh, there, there's often, and as it relates to suffering, that, I, I feel like suffering is honestly the hardest. I don't have an answer, you know, I don't think any, I don't think anyone, I think anyone's joking if they, they think they do, you know, like, so that's, that's the biggest challenge in my mind, uh, faith. But what I have found is, um, and, and to your point, you know, like my daughter, when people who've lost loved ones, children and all. Um, but a few things that have been helpful for me has been, 
I think I used to ask the question, like, it's kind of, you know, either God's all powerful or he's all loving. You got to choose. It's one of those two, you know? And, um, and the picture can be God's the marionette and we're on the puppet strings, you know, it's just, why, why are you doing this and all? And the perspective flip for me there has just been the centrality of the cross and going like, I do believe God is sovereign. I do believe God is divine. I don't understand all the mystery of how that all works out, but in the cross, I find that God has entered into the muck and the mess. He's entered into the suffering with us in order to redeem it, you know, in Christ. And, and so back with my daughter, as an example, like I didn't know, I couldn't explain all the ins and outs of the what's and the why's and the whatever else, you know, but I experienced the presence of Jesus with me in it and heavenly father with me in it. And I, I think one, one line in skeletons was the effect of like, Jesus answered a death to suffering and death is not an explanation. It's resurrection. You know, like it's, it's not so much like looking back and giving us all the ins and outs and the whys though. I think maybe from eternity, from the perspective of the kingdom, again, it may be this third angle, like a new angle where we can, we can kind of see and it more makes sense. Um, but it's less like looking back to give the explanation as it is entering in to redeem and then looking forward to resurrection, the ability to actually overcome it and bring us out the other side where suffering and death don't have the last word. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really well said, Josh. Thank you. I think, um, you know, even looking at the Apostle Paul, right? So, um, you know, most scholars would say the Apostle Paul spent about 10 years, um, you know, going to Arabia and, and other places trying to understand what this sort of um, revelation of Christ was to him. It wasn't a case of, oh, I've got it, let's go, and just kind of going and proclaiming. It was a, okay, let me re kind of read the scriptures, let me rest with this and actually work out because, you know, you know, to someone like Paul, someone dying on a cross was a, the, the absolute opposite of the Messiah. Like it was not a, a, oh, this now flips in and makes sense. It was a, uh, Paul obviously believed that he witnessed something and experienced something and that changed how he interpreted the Torah and, you know, all the prophets, etc. And then he, he began to teach this new way of looking at these kind of works and these books and going, I, I can see where Jesus has come about in these in these works, and we were reading it wrong. Like we didn't we didn't understand it. And I find that really really interesting. Um, you know, you know, kind of it's, it's especially looking at kind of um, you know, one Corinthians thirteen. Um, I think it's one Corinthians thirteen. It's that sort of um, that sort of creed section um, where mm. kind of um, we 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 believe that kind of Paul was taught this from potentially kind of Peter um, when mm. when he kind of met with him in Jerusalem, and it's this idea that um, you know. Paul was working through this stuff and he didn't necessarily, he didn't just get it straight away. Like God, God, like, and, and, mm -hmm. and the reason I mentioned Paul so much is because, you know, it, arguably Paul was the person that um, has made Christianity into, into Christianity. Like without Paul, yeah. we, we wouldn't have what we have today. The amount of evidence, the amount of uh, writings, the kind of way Christianity has dominated, especially the West uh, and, and the world as a whole. And it's, it's really interesting because it wasn't this clear cut, like, you've got it, just go for it, just make it up as you go. It was somebody 
beginning to work out what this revelation meant and then live that out and obviously something we, we, we believe become martyred for for for, for their faith um it's it's, mm. it's very powerful stuff and i think um i think it's it's really interesting to kind of hear that sort of journey side of it as well and i kind of kind of wanted to take i uh, kind of wanted to get your take on the sort of um yeah. i guess atheist um understandings of christianity so i think a lot of the time people kind of go along the lines of kind of like you know okay i can't believe in god because you know it's it's atrocious that um they were told to go and murder the canaanites or i can't believe in god because uh, someone like voltaire said you know kind of like is is your god um all powerful then why doesn't he act is is, is he all loving then why isn't he doing things he if he isn't completely kind of like x y or z then he's not doing you know a b and c it's it's this sort of very much like a kind of if god is this stuff he should be doing these things and i think the sort of christian message seems to be very different around this sort of um god that is engaging with this world in, in in a way that we often like it often grinds against us it often pushes us into uncomfortable positions and it often makes us kind of uh, have to process things that we don't want to have to deal with like we don't want suffering we don't want pain we don't want to have to wrestle with these questions so i kind of want to get get your take on kind of um i guess atheism and and and, and how you view um <clears throat> not necessarily people kind of like searching and seeking but kind of um that sort of um atheist retort which is very much like christianity doesn't make sense because of this whereas what you're saying is christianity is difficult but it's a journey that you can go on and you can experience something if you're willing to step into that relationship so i kind of wonder can you can you kind of speak to kind of like the atheist sort of retort yeah no that's great i uh man well in, in my experience with with friends uh with friends who have been atheists the number one dominant uh reason or motivator kind of rationale has often been the suffering you know i'm not sure that's at least in in my kind of friendships and circle i've been aware of but um but even as a whole i think one of the thoughts for me is like i i think that we all are kind of living with a story like a storied framework of kind of how we make sense of the world like where we've come from where we're going why we're here all those kind of things and um and so i think it's been helpful for me to try and press into a bit going, okay, well, A, you know, what do, what do I believe as far as my story of the world, you know, Christianity and God, like what, what, what does Christianity teach us kind of the story of the world? And then um, with, uh, for an atheist, you know, to kind of question like, what's, what's the story that uh, the person is living in? And to be honest, like, I, I don't find the, the, uh, the story compelling <laughs> at least those that i've encountered right like and i get it i mean i get the suffering i get like okay we can maybe now explain our existence uh potentially you know people could uh, make kind of materialistic explanations for why we're here how we got here those kind of things but um even there like i still uh let's say for example like i think there are a lot of things that we value most atheists i know value uh, value freedom let's say you know and, and i'd want to go well why like what what roots that freedom and often is it just a kind of a libertarian western conception of freedom like the freedom from like freedom to do what i want from other people from god from society kind of or is there a a a more compelling uh to me a more compelling vision of freedom is um and the freedom to do the right thing (laughs) like from uh from kind of like this human propensity to inflict suffering and decay in the world, you know, uh, or so we take like freedom or we take 
love or take identity or take, um, there are all these different things that I feel like in my experience, like with the atheists I've known, uh, we'll still hold on to these values. But if we kind of press into, well, what's your story of the world behind it? It doesn't feel like it supports those values. Does that make sense? You know, like if, um, I mean, there's obviously diversity in atheist thought, but if if one holds a more materialistic conception of existence, like it's just kind of raw brute matter is, is all there is. And we got here more through chance and processes that are kind of blind in that sense, you know, uh, like I, I've been unable to see how that story of the world and then where we're going, that it all just kind of burns out in the end, like how that can uphold a lot of the values that we still want to cling to you know like freedom and love and identity and meaning and hope and, and all those kind of things and so the the question that provokes for me is uh like either we're just really good at deluding ourselves in an illusion <laughs> that those things really matter you know or uh i, I know everybody i know every christian quotes c.s lewis all the time so i, I try not to <laughs> get sucked into that all the time but i remember there's you know some powerfully once said to kind of the effect of like um if i kind of if I constantly find myself longing for these things from the world, maybe that means that I was actually made for that other world, or I, I'm probably butchering that quote, but kind of this is like, for me, like if I find myself valuing freedom and meaning and identity and love and hope and community and all these different things, um, maybe that's a sign that actually, whatever the true story of the world is, is actually a big enough, strong enough story to kind of hang those hooks on, the hooks of those values on. Um, and I, I have not found any atheist renderings of the story of the world compelling enough for those, those values that we want to hang on it. Like the hooks seem to just fall right through the ground, if, if that makes sense. It, it does. It does. I think um, so. I think Bertrand Russell um, basically has this really sort of um, nihilistic kind of like um, basically if if Christianity isn't true and naturalism is all there is, like the sort of structure that you can build hope within is going to die and burn, and that is all there is. There is nothing else. You can you can't get outside of it. It kind of goes on to say like we can't live as if that's true, but that is that is the reality. If there isn't a God, um, and I think it's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about. I was chatting to someone a, kind of a few episodes ago, the podcast talking about humanism and, um, you know, I have no issue with, with the sort of humanist kind of, kind of like motifs and stuff, but I was kind of challenging them and saying, you know, is it, is it not obvious to you that humanism seems to be very much rooted within judo Christian frameworks based mm -hmm. on the sort of teachings and extrapolation of Christ's teachings um, across the last 2,000 years. Like this this, this idea that humans have worth, that we have value, that we have meaning and purpose, these sorts of things. Like, I mean, and, 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 and even taking it to myself, like I, um, I, 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 I walked with my youngest. So I've, got, I've got two boys. I've got a three-year-old and a uh, almost six-year-old now. Um, and we were walking up to school to pick up the almost six-year-old. And um, I was with my, with my little one. And I was holding his hand and popped him on my shoulders and walking up a hill and stuff and thinking like, this moment is so valuable and so important um and 
I, for some reason, don't seem to be able to get past, and this annoys a lot of people, which again, which is fine, but um, I don't seem to be able to get past the idea that um, this moment has more value than just this moment's sake. Um, that there is something yeah. happening that seems to be far deeper and far more meaningful than just a, I'm just experiencing love because I've had this child that is my offspring from my wife's womb that we kind of created together and that that's what this is. This is that's all this is. It's just this sort of like genetic hormonal thing that I've got going on at the moment. Um, if it feels far deeper and far more meaningful to me and sure atheists might turn around and say um well that is just your thoughts and feelings and that's that's all that is it's just you making it making a story um but i don't seem to be able to get outside of the story um when i live i might be able to sit in my armchair like right here and kind of philosophize away and, and, and create some sort of narrative but actually um when i'm walking with my two boys or my wife up in the hills near near where we live we're looking at deer we're looking at birds we're looking at wildlife and there seems to be moments that are um they feel intrinsically valuable um and i can't i can't get away from that and i think um you know just kind of just just to go back to your point before about sort of the sort of narratives of atheism and this is something that i get pushed back again a lot uh, which is fine but i struggle with the term atheist because it does seem to um extrapolate into materialism it seems to be a, a, a really hard way for it to um well it, it seems to be almost impossible for it to not get to to materialism and i'm aware that i'm i'm having lots of conversations in the future about this as well so listener please bear with me as we kind of journey journey through this together and i might stay in this position we'll have to see um but um currently i can't help but see that kind of atheism links to materialism and it's very hard to separate away from that whereas i think that things like um rationality um things like consciousness um you can say that they're material, but actually, if you begin to really investigate those things, so kind of you mentioned C.S. Lewis, um, his book uh, Miracles um, kind of looks at the idea of rationality and how um, without um, rationality being more than just a material thing that we have created um, or that we ad adhere to as material beings, um, we, we actually run into very, very dangerous territory trying to actually be able to understand anything and actually go, this is true. Like We, we don't really have truth, um, which is kind of scary and then kind of consciousness like what 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 is the thing that is i that i i'm using to think and, and process and um you know again listen i'm not saying that that god is real and what i'm saying here is that we need to be willing to talk about these things and to realize there is more going on here that we need to begin to work through um and i think i find that really exciting i think kind of josh just kind of rewinding a little bit and kind of going back to your to your previous point um you kind of mentioned this sort of um let me let me get my my my, my words right here this sort of um almost it kind of almost suggests and again tell me if i'm wrong but this sort of god that invites us on this journey to be able to engage with and know and to and to begin to um follow and and understand to some 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 level at least um and, and my question to you which is it is a tricky question so feel free to push back on me but um is this what, what about those that never got the chance so what about that child that never made it what about that person that never managed to get to the position where they were able to believe how do we um how do we or how would one have faith and belief in a god and also hold the tension that this person whether they were young or they were old and mentally unwell or, or whatever the situation is and um, this person never got to experience the things that you talk about so lovingly and so kind of well like how do we begin to process that um, i'm aware that's a really big question so a, 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 a yeah. apologies but no, excellent. It's a great point. I'd love to love to address it. Maybe first, though, I'm going to piggyback though on on some of the some of what you just said just before. Uh, one was man. One on, on the kind of values in our culture that we kind of have embedded that we, we maybe uh, 
like the fish in the water. We don't realize we're swimming in it, but have often come from Christianity. You know, I've read uh, this last year uh, a book, Tom Holland, the historian, wrote this book called Dominion. Yes. And it's fascinating because he was a historian, but uh, really making the case that so many of kind of the values inherent in Western society, things that we would often just kind of take for granted today, uh, looking at how those are actually the byproduct of the influence of Jesus and the Christian story into some of the fabric and narrative framework of the, the, the world that we live in. And th th that was one really fascinating, you know, just kind of on, man, I wonder how many times we still hold to some of these values that we've kind of received. Some of you use the phrase like borrowed capital, you know, like, like as, as, and yet uh, we've sort of lost the undergirding framework or the the story that kind of supports or originally gave gave rise to them, which does seem a little concerned of how how long can some of those values last when the story gets removed, so to speak. You know, so that's a whole conversation. But then on the one you mentioned too, man, I, I love the just the the image, the simplicity of the power of walking with your children. You know, walking with one child to go pick up your other, and your connection with your wife and your family. And, I mean, even just to give you my 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 take, like I'd say, like, uh, and man, I, I would say the power of that moment is actually at the heart of some of the deepest truth of who God is. Like, I, I would want to, and this is part of the next book I'm working on gets there. Um, but one of the chapters is one of this idea of like the family being an icon of the Trinity, or like a window into. A, it's, it's an analogy. It doesn't. It breaks down at some level. It's not a perfect analogy, but um, the you know. Pope John Paul II and Karl Barth, two of the kind of most towering figures of theology in the 20th century, both saw um, the family as in some way like God creating the family to bear his image in some respect as the triune God. And some of the idea there, you know, the image that comes to my mind is I remember when I, I lived in Africa for a number of months kind of working there and I would see these uh, statues everywhere for sale. They were like statues that were of, of the family, right? So you had kind of uh, the father, the mother, the child, and it was one substance that was like they had been carved out of the same, you know, uh, things. So there's one substance. Uh, they weren't three separate individuals. They were like carved out of the same stuff, so to speak. And yet, so there, there were three persons, but they were one. And I think the biblical image that we see of the family is actually very similar going, um, you have the one flesh, you know, like the father and the mother, and then uh, like from their union comes the arisal of the, the rising of the third, you know, like the, and the father, the mother and child, they share kind of flesh and blood, one flesh, one substance, um, a common identity, a common life together at home. Um, and so there's a deep, rich unity, I think even stronger than Western conceptions of the family, where we often think of just autonomous individuals and going like, no, there's a sense of flesh and bone, uh, a union of flesh and bone uh, in, in that family unit. Um, and yet distinct persons generation and the generation of life through that but in short to say um man i think part of the power of that moment like when i'm holding my child's hand or uh with my wife you know hanging out and just just the joy of being in each other's presence uh it's it's an analogy but i think it's one given by god of going god is an eternal communion of love with both diversity and union in unbreakable relationship and um, those. Yeah. And so, man, I think it's not only the family, but when we experience that in deep relationships, for me, it's not just like, Oh, that's interesting. Or there's a back, there's maybe some kind of causal expression here. It's going, no, that's actually 
deep relationships of communion, life, love with others, all that, like are reflections of the deepest reality, the heart of the universe, which is actually beyond the universe, like God himself, you know, creating that truth like that. Um, so anyway, I'm sorry, that was kind of a lot longer to just, yeah, to, to say like, man, I, I think it's really powerful. And, uh, and I do think it's a great window into how the glory of God is revealed in what many might consider the mundane things of life, you know, and just the everyday, the spots where the glory shines sometimes most brightly. But to your other question, you asked, yeah. Uh, so those, those who've never heard and um, I have a few thoughts on that. Like one is, um, man, I, I almost want to start by expanding the question, kind of broadening it, you know, like, cause I think sometimes I've heard this question come up in Christian circles and I can kind of be like, what about that lone tribesman in Papua New Guinea or, you know, it's kind of the sense that like, it's just this one little random, these very few exceptions, you know? Uh, and yet I think the reality is, dude, Jesus didn't come till 2000 years ago. <laughs> you know, like, like, and there was a lot of history that came before that with nations growing and empires rising and falling civilizations. Like, like we're talking about, um, depending on how far back you go, we're talking about, you know, generations and generations and generations uh, before Jesus and the gospel. Uh, and so in my mind, it's actually a bigger, you know, kind of want to raise it to be a bigger question. And one of the things that strikes me about the new Testament is that um, they don't seem, they're aware of that. Like they're in year one, you know, it's not like they've got like 2000 years of whatever, you know, uh, kind of the normalization of Christianity, they're in this spot where do they, they're at sort of the tip of the spear of history in their experience. And they know there's all this history that's come before and all that. Um, and yet they don't seem to be saying like, uh, um, uh Oh, Jesus is here. What does that mean for everyone? <laughs> they seem to see Jesus as the fulfillment of history, not the annihilation of history, you know, like is more of the consummation of what history has been pointing towards and building towards and hope for all this time. Uh, and so my sense is, you know, the, the, there's, there's definitely an area of mystery where I don't want to overstep my back. I feel like it's too much to just say when it comes to God's kingdom and eternity, it's too much for me to say everybody's in. It's too much for me to say everybody's out. Like, I, I don't think scripture gives that, that, um, and it's, but, what I do think, you know, what I feel like I can say confidently with conviction is that uh, Jesus is the king at the center of his kingdom, and he's the one who determines who's there and who's not, you know, and and he sets the ground for that. And I don't think you have a situation where, not, not only I don't think, I, I say confidently, I, it's not a situation where God's going like, ah, oh, I wanted to let you in, but oh, you didn't get the prayer in or you wrong, born in the wrong time of history and sorry, you know, wrong time, wrong place, out of luck. It's beyond my, it's out of my hands, you know? Like, I, and actually in the second section of the Skeleton's book, that was one of the things I wanted to push on was I think often when we think of God's judgment, um, many folks in today, at least in some Christians, have a very passive vision of God in his judgment, you know? Like, it's almost like, that is like, God's like, kind of like, ah, I want to let you in, but did you pray the prayer? Or did you feed enough people at the soup kitchen, homelessness? You know, did you sign off on the doctrinal statement? And we kind of have this picture where almost like where God's got his hands tied. And um, and I don't think it's that case at all. Like, I'd say, do you believe Jesus is the fulfillment of history? He's the consummation of, 
hope. He's uh, the desire of the nations is one of the phrases used in scripture. Like Jesus is the desire of the nations and he's the king at the center of his kingdom. And so he, uh, A, I believe he's going to do what's right, you know, and he knows what that is way better than I do. And B, um, I just expect, given the dynamics of surprise that we talked about earlier, I expect there's going to be loads of people from all throughout history, you know, like from every nation, tribe and tongue, like all, all walks of life, everything. Um, and there's going to be loads of people from today, even that I would have been like, what? I didn't expect that, you know? And, uh, and yeah, that, that, uh, yeah. So, so this may sound like a cop out, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I just kind of go, man, I, I, I trust Jesus with that one. You know, like, like, I feel like I, I, I want to, push back against a caricature that would say, dude, if you were born before 2000 or in much of the world before the last few hundred years, or like, you're just out of luck, you know, like I'd say, I don't, I don't think, I think that diminishes and undermines um, the significance of God's sovereignty, you know, to, to just see it as um, you're out of luck because you're born in the wrong time and place. Um, and yeah. And so I, I, but I, I, what I do know is that all who are in the, you know, in the kingdom are there because of the king, you know, it's actually that when we see Jesus, we want him for who he is. And I don't believe Jesus will turn away any of those who, who do truly want him, you know? Uh, and he also calls out and judges uh, the reality of those of us who don't, who prefer kind of our independence or our autonomy over life in union with him kind of on, on his terms, on the terms of his kingdom. That's very powerful. Thank you for that. Um, I think it'd be kind of like to a, a, a twofold question um, to kind of draw us to a close, I think is um, really wh where would you encourage people to turn to, to continue this journey, to continue asking these sorts of questions and kind of reading um, the sort of books that maybe influenced you within your thinking, like I'm thinking theologians or uh, maybe kind of like um, podcasts or, or, or whatever you want to kind of recommend. And then, and then also Josh, how do people kind of find out more about your work and find out more about you and kind of connect with you online? And where would you kind of point them to? Great. Yeah. Uh, books to read. Hey, here's my spot to plug. <laughs> Skeletons of God's Closet. No, uh, I'm joking. Obviously, if people do want to dig in more, just some of the, the ways I tackle that, you know, the Skeletons of God's Closet and Pursuing God um, are, are the two books there. But I, I'd say some of that have been really influential for me. Man, there's loads. Um, one that comes to mind, I would say at the heart of much of my writing has been and work has been two baseline convictions one would be uh on the doctrine of god would be like the trinity and that being like this foundational conviction that god is an eternal communion of love and on that one i actually have it here um i dude i love it's this little book it's it's easy to read but i just uh i love kind of theology of the trinity but this is it's called delighting in the trinity by michael reeves and he knows his stuff. Like, I mean, he's, it's, it's a very intellectually rich, but it's also not a slog to read through. I've read a lot of books of Trinity. They're just like, oh man, painful, you know? And, and uh, Delight in the Trinity by Michael Reeves is just one of my favorite books. And just like who God is, like who Christianity says, believes, proclaims God to be. And that foundational conviction that God is love. Um, so I, I just throw that out as one of my many kind of all-time faves. Um, and then that held in connection with 
kind of doctrine of humanity. Uh, and I would say that we are creatures of the heart, that we are driven most by what we love, by what we most desire. And the classic on that would be Augustine, his confessions. I, I just, that's, I, I, I'm, I, I'm an Augustine fanboy. I know, I know some people, he's controversial. Some people love him, some people hate him. But I, I like, he's been one of the most, uh, yeah, really meaningful for me. And so I love Augustine's confessions. Or if somebody's looking for something more modern, uh, there's uh, one writer, James K. Smith, has written a lot of great stuff, but he's got a tight little book that's um, called uh, You Are What You Love. And it's, I would say it's just sort of a popularly accessible Augustinian anthropology for today, kind of condensing some some key ideas there. Um, so, so those two come to mind. Um, bigger picture resource, man, one of my favorites, I've got some friends uh, back in Portland that uh, run a thing called The Bible Project. Bible project they do just stellar uh, videos they make they make like basically like animated videos they call them like cartoons <laughs> like Bible card but they're like five minute you know five to ten minute videos that are uh, explanations on either books of the Bible kind of the literary structure design how it works how the books of the Bible are working or also themes kind of threaded throughout the Bible and it's just really high quality both theologically and artistically creatively really high quality content and they've got a great podcast to the Bible Project podcast that um, is really, I think, helpful. If we're talking about getting away from some of the caricatures and like reconstructing more men, what's actually going on in the biblical story, getting fresh vision for that. Uh, I highly recommend Bible Project's work there. They're amazing. Yeah, I am. Um, I absolutely love um, Tim Mackey. He's a total, total legend. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure there are, there are links to, to all of those and, and to your work as well and to, into your Twitter account and stuff. And um, yeah, Josh, it's been it's been awesome talking. It's been so good to hear your heart and passion. And uh, yeah, you just seem to be on fire for God. And I think that's something that um, a lot of my listeners are going to um, either hate or love, but I've really enjoyed it. Uh, really, really enjoyed hearing hearing you, your story and hearing you come across in your story. So uh, thank you so much for sharing your heart for, for God. It's been really helpful for me. So yeah. Thanks, Sam. Man, I love getting the chat. I love getting able to be here and be a part of it. And it's really great to make the connection and get to have the conversation together. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To leave any comments or thoughts, you can head over to YouTube. And to follow us on social media or to see where else we are online, hit the link in the description. Thank you to all our regular givers for making this dream a reality. I'll catch you here at the same time next week. Enjoy the journey.